As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey, did you love me? You know I love you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good morning, sweet world, and welcome to the No Dunks Podcast on the Athletic Network. It's Tuesday, December 22nd. Happy NBA Day to each and every one of you watching and listening. we got a fun podcast here this morning to get you hyped for the start of the regular season. I'm J.E. Skeets, along with Trey Kirby, Lee Lee, and the man making the magic happen, J.D., and today we got a special guest. That's not Tass. He sort of looks like him because he's got a great beard. <laughs> but, but incredibly, this is his first time, we think, on the podcast. Kirk Goldsberry. Kirk, appreciate you coming on. No dunks. How you doing, man? It's been way too long. I, I think this is this is this has been too long, and I'm happy to be here, and I'm doing very well, very excited, and sort of stunned for today's opening day and, and ring night and all the stuff that we're gonna see this this evening. Yeah, you said you woke up this morning and didn't really realize that the NBA season was starting here tonight on December 22nd. You know, and I don't think LeBron James knows it either, but he'll find out sometime around lunch that he has to play tonight, I think. It is really weird. All right, well, for those that don't know Kirk, I wanted to hit the listeners and people joining us on the stream team right now with sort of like your abbreviated resume, just to get everybody up to speed. Current NBA analyst at ESPN, Mm-hmm. New York Times, hello, best-selling author of Sprawl Ball. Oh, there it is you. right there. Yeah. I had it up on my bookshelf. Professor at the University of Texas. You're an analyst for Team USA Basketball and mm-hmm. were formerly a VP with the San Antonio Spurs. And then now you're like a cartographer slash artist having just created the <laughs> Naismith International Park map, which we're going to get to later in the podcast. There's a little tease for you. We're going to do a deep dive on this unbelievable thing. Is there anything I'm missing there, though, Kirk? Uh, no, I'm just uh, I'm happy to be here, and I've had a wild career. I, I would say essentially because I was into to basketball analytics in the 2010s, my career yep. got me yanked around because we didn't uh-huh. know what analytics was. We didn't know where it was going. We didn't know who needed it most. And so I just got yanked around, but it was a real fun process, and I'm happy to be where I am at ESPN, uh, and happy to be at UT teaching uh, the youngsters. Awesome. Honestly, it feels like you're slumming it a little bit talking to us here. <laughs> you hear Skeets listing all those qualifications, you're like, this no. guy's actually very smart. Yeah. 
No, we were technically co-workers, I think, about six or seven years ago, right, at the Grantland. At Grantland. Era. So, right. you know, I'm not slumming it. That's still some of the best gigs I've ever had was, was the Grantland era. And I know you guys uh, cut your teeth there for a little while. So, yep. no, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. And like I said at the top, I can't believe it's taken this long. So let's do this, guys. I know. Yeah, well, yeah, let's test how smart you are when it comes to the numbers in basketball. <laughs> um, we got a lot to talk about with uh, the season tipping off tonight. We'll start with the contract extensions, because it's sort of newsworthy for uh, everyone that's joining us daily here. We had a lot of them yesterday, sort of at the last minute. Uh, OG Ananobi and the Raptors, four years, $72 million extension. Jonathan Isaac, who's actually injured right now, but the Magic believe in him, four years, $80 million extension. Derek White and the Spurs, again, uh, a team that you uh, formerly worked for, four years, $73 million extension. Luke Kennard and the Clippers, four years, $64 million. Markel Fultz and the Magic, three-year, $50 million. And then over the weekend, we had Kyle Kuzma and the Lakers agreeing to the three-year, $40 million extension. No deals for John Collins. No deal for Lonzo Ball, Lowry Markkinen. Of all those I just listed, uh, Kirk, which one was the biggest surprise to you, either that signed and the number maybe they agreed on, or one that didn't get done in you know the Collins, Ball, and Markkinen? Uh, I think the the fact that Lonzo didn't get done is the most surprising. Okay. Um, I think a lot of people would answer Markel Fultz. Um, and <laughs> to me, uh, I love Markel. I'm happy for him and his family right now because of all he went through. But the fact that Lonzo Ball is going to enter restricted free agency is relatively shocking to me. Right. Uh, so so my answer is, is, is Ball. Um, and I, I'm happy for Derek White, who I was in the draft room when we picked him. Uh, if you would have told me on draft night, a few years ago that the Spurs would be paying him four years, $73 million, I would have been thrilled because that would have meant he he turned into the kind of great player he is right now. Right. Uh, but I, I get coming into to, to this week, I'm not surprised that that one got done. Did you have like a little bit of a say then in, in the drafting of Derek White? Like you saw potential in him or like take us through uh, that situation? Well, first, first of all, the, the people who run the Spurs draft are RC View for Dave Tellup and they're incredible scouts. So they and Greg Popovich it, it gets a gets an opinion in there, too, every once in a while. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he chimes in. Yeah. But so it really wasn't me being like, we're taking Derek White. <laughs> right. uh, that's not what happened. But, you know, we have. We have a bunch of models and analyses that we run, and we really like Derek in the analytics department. And, and, uh, and he's continued to prove himself as a really shrewd two-way player uh, who I think is going to be a great rotation piece for years to come in the NBA skeets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think he just got paid uh, a fair deal. Yeah. And I think he's going to have a really nice four-year run for the Spurs uh, with, the, with this new contract. Well-deserved, uh, and I'm thrilled for the young man. What, what did what did you think when you saw him then last year playing for Team USA? I know it was not maybe their strongest roster, but but that's still a pretty big jump for him as well there. So what what were your thoughts when you saw him out there? Well, I think, Lee, to answer that question, it, it's just another data point that the guy has come a long way. Now, he entered the league as an older player. He's a four-year college player, so he got a head start. I think he was 22 when he made his NBA debut. Uh, but being asked to be on the Team USA squad, no matter what the circumstances, is an honor. There's a lot of great players on there, uh, and Derek deserved it because of, as I said, he's become one of the smartest two-way players. I love watching the kid play, uh, especially on defense. Mm-hmm. Um, and Coach Pop knows him better than any coach in the league uh, and probably saw that as something that Team USA could use. Uh, takes a ton of charges, just like Kyle Lowry. You know, I think that's sort of his... His, his, his signature skill on defense aside from deflecting a ton of balls. But it's that kind of hustle, Lee, that, that I think endears him to coaches like Pop 
uh, who who then gives him a call for for that team USA yeah, deal. It's sort of cool to see like three of these names that jump out: OG uh, Jonathan Isaac, who I said is injured but is an unbelievable defensive player, and then Derek White, like you're talking about, Kirk. Like those guys, uh, you know, they're not you know lighting up the box score when it comes to scoring, but they're they're really already at a young age some of the elite defenders at their positions. I know Raptors fans are pumped with the OG um, extension. I think the number that Masai and his team agreed upon four years 72 especially when you do compare it to like a Derek white 473 uh, you know raps fans are always high on their own guys but og <laughs> is on some lists of like a potential most improved player you know we think he could get better and better and better um and now the raptors in what the last year and a little bit siakam van vliet and og all locked up to uh, their new deals they're all under contract here for what minimum i guess three more years that's the foundation do you you know are you high on that foundation of those three guys of or the raptors moving forward uh, yeah, 100%. Not to mention Nick Nurse is locked up, and he's arguably yeah. one of their bigger assets, too. But I would say yep. that, yeah, the, the other thing that, that sort of comes into to clarity with these extension skeets as it relates to Toronto is that Van Fleet deal looks pretty good now. Mm. Um, you know, it, it, got a, it got some attention for the number, mm-hmm. uh, but then you compare it relative to Fultz or Kennard or Derek White or even OG as teammate. You're like, "Hey, that's that's a really nice deal for a player like Fred Van Fleet who's proven he can do it when it matters the most." Yeah. Uh so I, I think that's interesting. And the other thing that's sort of happening macroscopically is these big numbers on the extensions aren't happening in a vacuum. I think you look at the 2021 free agency class which used to be like the uh oh my gosh, can you leave all these players? Well, <laughs> Long story short, a lot of those guys just signed their own big-time extensions. Yeah. And so the big numbers we saw this week are a little bit, I think, of a downstream effect of the marketplace not being great next year. And teams right. saying, if I have to overpay some of these extension deals, I'll do it because Giannis isn't coming through that door and, and stuff like that. Yeah, and I wonder if that's why a lot of these were coming in sort of at the last minute, too. That's sort of what shocked me a little bit. Like, wow, where, when are these extensions going to start <laughs> happening? But I think you're right. I think it was a bit of a waiting game, especially what's Giannis going to do with some of these teams, Raptors for sure being one of them. And then, oh, okay, well, he's off the board. <laughs> oh, yeah, Paul George is off the board. Oh, yeah, all these other guys are not going to be there in this amazing 2021 class now. Let's lock up our own guys, our young talent, and... Uh, you know, we'll bank on them moving forward. Yeah. Anything to uh, add, Trey? Were you surprised by any of these uh, from yesterday, especially? Well, I was a little surprised to see Markkanen not get an extension, but not really. When you go back and look at the splits for Lowry Markkanen over his Bulls career, he's had basically one good month on a team that won about a third of their games. Uh, That's not a huge resume for Markkanen, but when you're looking at the Bulls outside of Zach Levine, he seems like the guy that would be the most likely all-star candidate in the future, but I don't know, Kirk, I don't know if you've looked at his uh, shot data. They had him taking a ton of threes last year, and that's kind of all they did. I don't know. There's been talk about him maybe getting the ball in the flow of the offense a little bit more this season where he's able to attack from maybe the mid post places where he's a little bit more comfortable. He was basically just a catch-and-shoot guy last year, but there's not a big track record for Markkinen, despite the fact that he was the centerpiece of the Jimmy Butler trade a few years ago. A little bit disappointing, but that's all the old front office, man. If you're a Bulls <laughs> fan, you gotta, you just got to write the past 20 years off, basically, and say, we're going from here. If we got to start over, if it's all about Wendell Carter and Patrick Williams, that's how it's got to be. Yeah, I, I like Laurie coming out, and, and I'm surprised he hasn't put up more impressive three-point shooting numbers. But that said, it's really hard for a young player, especially as, a, as an off-ball player, to really thrive in a struggling team environment like Chicago has had uh, over the last few years. 
Uh, so he's going to be an interesting sort of second draft guy. That's a concept that some NBA teams use to look at like, oh, okay, there's this sort of scrap heap. I think Laurie finds himself near the top of that pile. And he's a really enticing guy for somebody to convince themselves, hey, we can we can get something out of this guy. Sure. Look at right. that shot. Look at that size. I mean, the Bulls just didn't know what they were doing. So somebody's going to talk themselves uh, into paying Laurie something. Uh, and he's going to have a chip on his shoulder. And, and I, for one, don't think it's over for this young man. I think he's he's too good uh, to not be a rotation player somewhere. And hopefully his next stop, he gets to, to flex a little bit more as an off-ball shooter uh, in, in a better offensive environment. I'm with you, Kirk. I remember February 2019, man. It was awesome. Lowry <laughs> was balling. It was like 12 games, 20 and 10. Oh, my heart. <laughs> yeah, like Collins, Ball, and Markkanen, uh, as we talked about with the 2021 class sort of drying up, they're going to be restricted so their teams can match on them. But, man, they could be in line for a pretty payday here, like you're saying, Kirk, uh, just because there's not a lot of potential free agents available or not as many as we maybe initially thought. If these guys have huge years, if Markkinen is, like, whatever, flirting with 2010s for a good chunk of the season, we know Collins can do that. Who knows with Lonzo what numbers he's putting up and his impact it could cost their teams, like I guess, a, a, a lot, a lot more maybe than they would have right now. Which is why their agents probably of these players are like, "Hey, look, if we don't sign this right now, it's okay. Uh, look at look at the money we could be uh, looking at next year if we play well this year. That's the big part, I guess, with this, right?" Yeah, and I think uh, you know the, the three guys you named all could have big years. I yes. Mean, no, no, no BS. I mean, if you told me Lonzo Ball was going to lead the league in steals or something and have nine assists a game, I'd be like, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and like you're saying, if Laurie comes out super motivated in a new environment in Chicago, I'm not saying 2010s every night, but <laughs> he, he, and, and then Collins has already showed he could do that. Yeah. And, and you're right. You're exactly right. In a depleted marketplace in the summer of 2021, when there's going to be so much money in the market and not a lot of talent, potentially uh there's a world where these guys get really big offers yeah uh and the, and the teams that that were playing sitting back are now in a really tricky predicament with these three players well let's look ahead to opening night i know you're shocked so am i i can't believe these <laughs> games are actually gonna matter uh i don't know if you had a chance to look at the schedule here kirk but it is warriors nets and uh, clippers lakers you know the lakers are playing with lebron um which one are you more, more most excited for of those two games tonight and why i guess uh, Warriors Nets. I mean, okay. first of all, it's on before my bedtime, which is a big thing <laughs> in my age. <laughs> Second of all, uh, Kevin Durant's really freaking good at basketball. Oh, yeah. Kevin freaking Durant is going to be playing tonight. And Steph Curry, too. It's sort of the undercard that Steph is coming back. Yeah. And uh, these are two of my favorite players to watch play basketball on the planet. Um, and so I'll be jolted right back into midseason form uh, as that game tips off this nice. evening. And I'm super excited, Skeets, for honestly just watching Kevin. Uh, the dude is arguably the best scorer of of, of my post-Jordan lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, he can do everything, and he is unstoppable. And when I was on the Spurs and at games watching him in playoffs, uh, there's nobody more terrifying. Uh, he, <laughs> he strikes the – he's just he, – you can't do anything. I don't care right. if you You're just hoping, hoping he's misses, basically. And I think I think America has sort of forgotten how good Kevin Durant totally. is. I, I think yeah. you know when players miss that much time, you sort of forget. Holy crap! This guy is insane, yeah. and he's a fifty forty ninety guy. To remind the audience, 
and scoring 28 a game. Like, it's, 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 <laughs> it's insane. And, he, and he's the only one who really dominates the mid-range anymore. And, you know, I write a lot about the mid-range, and I love it. Um, it's, it's inefficient for most guys, but Kevin is the exception. He can dribble into those elbow jumpers, and he can sink them and beat teams with it, and I love right. it. So I'm looking forward to that game. Yeah, it's been 18 months, 18 months basically since Kevin Durant last played. Even the last time we saw him, it was only 12 minutes, right, against the Raptors uh, when he made his return after getting hurt against the Rockets previously. And even in that game, he was 3-for-3 from 3, 11 points. We were all feeling like, uh uh-oh, Kevin Durant's going to win this series (laughs) here for the Warriors. On IG Live not too long ago, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant were chatting. They were just chatting about how this season's going to come up. Kyrie's saying... I love post-ups. I want to post up four times a half. And Kevin's like, ah, ah, ah. Might get a little tight under there if the point guard's underneath the rim all the time. How do you see these two guys working? Because like you're saying, KD, he can score from anywhere. He's a master in the mid-range. Mid-range, he scores inside as well. Kyrie's a three-point shooter. He scores inside as well. Are they going to get in each other's way? I don't think so. I I watched that a little bit in the preseason. I think they're too good and too respectful of each other to let that happen. I think Steve Nash, again, one of the more interesting people to watch tonight is actually Steve Nash and what their offense will look like and how he's going to orchestrate it. But, you know, like Steve Kerr a few years ago came in with no experience, quote unquote. Um, I think both of those people have a lot of experience in this league. (laughs) Um, And I I think that uh, Steve's going to control that offense really well. Um, But, yeah, I do think there's a potential... Uh, for for some of the some of the same reports we started to see trickling out of Golden State recently about how Kevin sort of didn't like how uh, some of the other guys were shooting, whether those are substantiated or not, I, there's always the potential for that. We've seen that a hundred times in this league, mm-hmm. um, so there's a potential for it. I'm not going to rule it out, but I think these guys are too good and too respectful for each other uh, for it to be a real concern. And I just pity the the opponents because mm-hmm. you, you, Kevin has an off night. Kyrie can go for fifty. Yeah, uh, yeah. and and it's it, I, I can't wait. And I have the Nets going real far, uh, assuming. And this is the big assumption with both of these guys, and you've seen it for a decade now. Can they stay healthy? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the big boogeyman in Brooklyn for me. It's not the chemistry. It's the it's the ortho, orthopedics. There's also there's also uh, reports and rumors out there that potentially James Harden. Wants to go to Brooklyn. Uh, let's just say that happens. I mean, it's a no-brainer if if, uh, if he if he wants to go there. I guess if the Nets can get him. But do you think that's something where you can almost have too many talented players and not enough ball to go around? I do. I think with those guys, I do. Uh, and you know, obviously James and Kevin have played together before and did pretty well. Uh, but they were much younger players at that time. And Kyrie Irving is is a different player uh, than Westbrook. Obviously, going back to that Thunder team, but. Yeah. You know, I have so much respect for all of them. Um, if if Kevin Durant's not the best scorer of the 21st century, it's probably James Harden. Um, and the fact that they could be on the same team and Kyrie essentially being the third best scorer on any team he's ever on uh, is a ridiculous proposition. Um, and, 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 and I think would just be, they would figure it out. They're all smart. They all want the same thing. Um, but yeah, I think some of the stats that we've grown accustomed to for guys like Kevin and James would get would take a hit, and we've seen that in Golden State before. Mm. Uh, and if those guys are cool with it, they're going to be real hard to beat. Yeah, the Clippers Lakers uh, is the second game. You just recently wrote about 
LeBron's like combination of greatness and like the mileage on this guy. You want to talk about something that I think like gets overlooked? Yeah. We talk about LeBron nonstop, <laughs> don't get me wrong, but there, if there's one thing with him, and it's not that he's an incredible passer, as we always joke about, maybe the greatest passer of all time, despite being an incredible <laughs> scorer. Um, it is the mileage. It really is. And like you had some staggering numbers. I tweeted one out last night, just a just a an insane way to put it, because you're like, this guy, if you count the playoffs, LeBron has played like I think it was over fifteen hundred games. Larry Bird in his entire career paid, played like a thousand, and Jordan I think was topping out around twelve hundred, twelve hundred or something like that. Like it's year, like seasons worth on top of those guys who, of course, are some of the greatest ever. And as you you think about having long careers and tons of playoff runs, how much longer? I know this is an impossible question, Kirk, <laughs> but like truthfully, how much longer can he keep this up going into what his eighteenth season here? Um, with with this mileage, like you said, like so many minutes played. Yeah, I don't have a I don't have a concrete answer, but things are going well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Looking good. You know, he comes into this league uh, this season with the shortest off season of anybody's life, but True. particularly his, as both check this out, both the reigning Finals MVP and the oldest projected starter in the NBA. It's an that incredible achievement. Wow. Uh, it's an incredible achievement. And that's if J.J. Redick doesn't start tonight or this week. So keep an eye on that, J.J. <laughs> <laughs> Don't screw up my stat, J.J. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, no, I love, I love these old guys. And I think it's something as, as we age a little bit, you start to appreciate the guys at the end. Uh, but, yeah, I, I do think Skeet's the main point of that article, at least the first part of it, is the following appreciate the mileage and the sustainability. This is Cal Ripken or Lou Gehrig of the NBA, period. Uh, that he is pay, He's going to play 300 more games than Jordan. And remember, the last 100 games of Jordan were in the Wizards uniform, and, and Bird at the end was tailing off. And Magic, and I love these guys. I grew up yeah. with these guys. LeBron's the freaking finals MVP at the 1600 mark, uh, or the 1500 mark of his, of his career. It's insane. Yeah. And there's a plot in that piece that when I made, I just stat uh, the, the active minutes and active points. Uh, he is so far and away above Carmelo from his draft class in both minutes and points. Um, another Hall of Famer, yeah. uh, by the way. But just like it's just staggering. And I think yeah, that's the main point. This guy, among all the accolades, is now going to be one of the most sustainably great players in the league's history. Um, and how long can it last? I don't know, but I would I would sort of segue into this season with this point. It's up it's up on trial right now. He's got seventy one days between his last game and, to, and tonight's game, and that's a big ask for anybody. But a 35, 36 year old reigning Finals MVP. What are they going to do? What do you yeah. guys think? Is there going to be some load management? He hates load management. I don't know. It might be time. I guess he gets ten games off because the season's shorter. So that. Helped him a little bit. And uh, you just, you expect him to manage probably another five to 10 games throughout the season, as long as they're not national TV games, because uh, the, the league sent out the memo this year that the, the teams are no going to get fine. So uh, I imagine he probably does, he probably does his manager, because that's what he's done, knowing that he's going to play another 20 odd games come June, July. So I, I expect that's what he'll do. I mean, it, it, I don't think anyone would, would blame him or, or, or see him doing anything differently because. He does want to keep going. He just signed another two-year extension there with the Lakers, so he's planning on playing at least another what three seasons, and and then when whenever Bronny's available uh, in the draft, he wants to play at least one season with his son. Oh yeah, so we can get a Griffey Griffey moment for sure, yeah. uh, father and son. I think there's a couple interesting points. The no fans right now, at least in most arenas, 
I wonder if that encourages a guy like LeBron to maybe take off more games early on here, like he said with that quick turnaround, Kirk. And what I mean by that is LeBron does feel like the guy as the face of the league that, like Jordan was like this, right? Or he talked about it. Like, look, these people are coming. They're paying good money uh, to, to come and see me. Maybe that one time a year, if I'm over now in the East playing on a Western Conference team, I'm in their arena. You know, it's, it's like a duty of mine to show up and put on a show. But you remove them from the equation, the fans, in most arenas again, well, maybe he's more likely to, like, chill a little bit and take that uh, random game off. And not that he wouldn't every once in a while, too, but take that game off in Charlotte or wherever in, in, uh, you know, Detroit or something like that. But all that said, I think he loves playing in these games. I think he's such a numbers guy. He's like a Kirk Goldberry out there, for crying out loud, (laughs) that he's, hey, he wants to catch, I think, uh, you know, Kareem. Uh, all-time points scored. Well, you got if you're going to do that, you got to play in the games and put up 25, 30, uh, you know, for, for a good still couple years here, I think. I don't have it in front of me, but he's got to obviously put up some scoring numbers still here to catch him. I think he, I think he wants that. And so then that makes me think I'm more with you, Kirk. I don't think he actually takes off that many games here in this season, personally in the regular season. I don't know if, Trey, you have an opinion on it. Well, Kirk, like you said, LeBron also load manages during the games, right? The guy's (laughs) able to just hang out on the perimeter and lead the league in assists. And then when it actually comes playoff time, oh, yeah, I'll actually take the most shots in the paint of any player. That didn't make any sense Mm. to me. He's also playing alongside Anthony Davis, who is basically load management in his own right. You mentioned the piece, Kirk, the most assists between players went from LeBron to AD. And then, by the way, Anthony Davis also had his best season isolating the basketball LeBron has load management built in. Is there a better possible teammate for him than Anthony Davis, a guy who can sop up possessions, who can get easy baskets off LeBron passes, who also scores inside, who also does everything on the defensive end? I honestly feel like we underrate the the Lakers as a duo right now because LeBron is still the best player in the game when he turns it up to full strength. And even when he's not playing at full strength, he's playing alongside LeBron, uh, Anthony Davis, who is the fourth best player in the league. These guys are incredible, so I don't think they have to go out and give the full effort to get the wins, to put up the stats, because if both of them are playing 95% strength, they're going to be 120% strength between the two of them. I don't know if this actually adds up statistically, (laughs) but it makes sense in my head. It's easy for LeBron. He can chill because he's got Anthony Davis. It's easy for Anthony Davis. He can chill. He's got LeBron. It works nice. Yeah, I think you guys hit all the main points. Essentially, LeBron is balancing three things. He's chasing Kareem, like Lee said. He wants that record. Who wouldn't want that record? Uh, He's chasing Jordan's six titles, which is sort of in um, at odds with chasing chasing Kareem because you want to be at your best in the playoffs. Uh, And then the last thing, as you pointed out, this is a guy who takes great pride in putting on the show for the family that comes to watch him play in Detroit or Charlotte. And I think, Skeets, you hit on the sneaky, really important point here. Uh, With no fans in the building, it really offers him an out uh, Mm. to sit some of these games. Um, And and I think, you know, Trey, great point. Even if LeBron sits, you still have Anthony Davis out there. They, they, they could beat Detroit in that game without LeBron. You know, so <laughs> yeah. I think I think the coaching staff, LeBron, and, and the front office could look at the schedule and tactically manage some some load here and uh, <laughs> min, min, make uh, LeBron sort of you know optimize for all these three things, like still being the ambassador of the league, uh, the face of the league, not missing those prime time tilts, uh, but being in tip top shape for April, May, and June. Uh, mm-hmm. and still chasing that Kareem record, which he's 
probably three seasons away from. Right. Um, I think if he if he keeps going, uh, so it's incredible. It's incredible. <laughs> He's about four thousand points behind him. So let's say he played you know, 70 games a season for the next three seasons. They'd only need to average about 22 or so a game in those games, which I think he can get 22 a game still pretty easily. Yeah. You know, I mean, he can shoot the three, of course. He gets a line. And we just know with LeBron, when he wants to score, he goes and scores. So I think it's a matter of time before he gets Kareem. And actually, I think he probably gets 40,000 before he's all done uh, because I just think he is going to keep on wanting to play and, and put that record out of reach. For someone like a Kevin Durant as well, who's who's you know, you know he he's probably got that in the back of his mind. But of course, he missed a a big big chunk of last year and this season as well. Well, let's talk a little uh, MVP then. Why not? I mean, a little predictions here. Um, if LeBron, okay, let's just take LeBron out of the equation because let's say he's a little smart. Uh, he's looking ahead to championship number five, so that means okay, we'll take these games off, and let's just say he doesn't play enough games. Who would you have at the top of your leaderboard right now? Kirk, uh, for an MVP favorite heading into the 2020-21 season? I think it's disrespectful not to start with the guys who won the last two, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, he's, he's incredible. I think yep. he is the best uh, two-way player in the game right now, with all due respect to Kawhi Leonard. Uh, Giannis's defensive numbers and rim protection and rebounding numbers are insane for any player, let alone somebody who's scoring 26, 27 points a night on the other end. Uh, his efficiency as a scorer. And then, of course, you look at the Bucks' record over the last few years. Uh, it's a regular season award, guys. And this guy has clearly been <laughs> yeah. the most valuable player the last two years. So my list, out of respect and uh, out of what I think is going to happen this year, starts with that guy. Below him, I'm putting Durant because I think he's been there before and he's got a chip on his shoulder and the Eastern Conference is his to take. Yep. Uh, and I could really see that happening, him putting up 30, 10, uh, just dominating the Eastern Conference. Uh, and then I think, you know, players in the Western Conference, obviously Harden is in there too, uh, but he's got a lot of, <laughs> a lot of uncertainty. Uh, so if I had to go out West with one player, I think Kawhi Leonard sneaks in there. Whoa! Uh, yeah, I think Kawhi Leonard is, is, is in a contract year. How about that? <laughs> That's uh, true. Yeah. Breaking news. Yeah. He, yeah. This is contract year Kawhi Leonard. He's got something to prove. He does not enjoy looking over to the other side of Staples and seeing banners. Uh, and so I, I'd keep an eye on him. He's in his prime skeets, and he is mad. And so why not include him in my top three candidates? So I guess if you have him in the top three candidates, you are assuming that you know the classic Kawhi load management is maybe dialed back and that he's playing more than he has over the last two seasons, let's say. Yeah, I, I would think so. But, yeah. you know, I do think that's the giant red flag. He only plays 53 of the 72 yeah. and he rules himself out. I think that's the most likely reason why he's not in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think you factor that in. Maybe they find creative ways to, to manage his load. Um, but I won't be surprised if he's out of contention simply because of what we've seen in the last few years. Totally fair point. I love the respect you're showing for Giannis. We're all Giannis fans. I assume most people are in the world. Why wouldn't you be? But... I just cannot see a path for him to go back to back to back for MVP. Because like you said, yeah, it's a regular season award. Well, guess what? All these voters, they have in the back of their mind what they just saw in the last two playoffs, especially the most recent one. And I know he was injured. That comes into play. But that, you know, that's a... It's, it's a little... that sours some of the voters, I think. And then I just don't know, like, how could his numbers at all be better maybe they will be but how could they be better than what he's putting up now even if they are the number one seed well they've been there done that i just can't like 
I can't wrap my head around the numbers or the efficiency or whatever, <laughs> going undefeated or whatever it is to get the voters on board for a third consecutive year when, you know, LeBron hasn't done it, MJ not doing it. Like, last person to do it, I think, is Larry Bird still, right? I, I, I just... I just can't see it happening. <laughs> Despite outside of the Bucks, you know, going perfect, seventy-two and zero, and I guess uh, the thirty, <laughs> ten, and ten from Giannis. I, am I am I crazy, Lee? I mean, can you see like Kirk saying like the possibility <laughs> of that he could do it again? See, Kirk's uh, take was really measured, reasoned, uh, yeah. and had stats behind it. And yeah. so now I'm convinced actually Giannis is going to win oh. three in a row because, because you, 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 know, you mentioned the defensive impact, the record, and he's just going to go out there. He's got something to prove as well as, as far as he's got to get his team back, I think, to that number one spot. So no, I think, no, no, no. That's the, not the narrative, though. There's I know, no I know, I like, know. Oh, but Giannis listen. has got to get the Bucks back to the number one seed so they can lose in the second but, round but, again. But like, the point on. is, again, like, like Kirk is saying there, it, it is a regular season award. So maybe we sort of overestimate just how much the voters will sort of uh, almost handicap Giannis this year by saying, listen, we, we want to see you do it in the playoffs uh, first. I but so. um, I mean, the thing is, I think, you know, and I know we made our picks there and we all, I think we all had different picks in the end. I think we all sort of assume though Giannis will be sort of top two or three anyway, just simply because he is going to put up those numbers. But yeah, narrative and story comes into play. And I, I don't know if you've been a voter, Kirk, or not, but, but you know, if you are, so if you were though, would you... How would you go about the voting process, do you think? Would you look at numbers, analytics, or wins, um, narrative? You know, what, what sort of factors would you take into account? I think I'd owe it to, to my, my perch uh, as, as the numbers guy to be pretty objective. And to- <laughs> I like the idea, no, no, I I love the idea of you going, screw the numbers. I just like this guy. Uh, Westbrook again. Yeah. I mean, Westbrook. Yeah. No, I think my role in the ecosystem would be, for, if you're honest, if they win equivalent of 70 games okay. or something, and he does what I think he will do, it, the, you know, he's early prime still. Like, I still expect it. Yeah. Um, so I, I think you can't let that factor it in. Uh, that said, if somebody like Luka Doncic comes out and they're the three seed in the West and yeah. he's averaging 33 points and 11 assists and nine rebounds, I do think it, even a voter like me, in theory, would get to a tipping point where, where if it's close, you go Doncic because he hasn't won one yet. And that's right. a new flavor. Yep. Uh, so I think that is something that's totally at play. For Giannis to win the third in the row, he he needs to be far and away the choice. I think that is a relevant, fair point, Lee. Let's talk a little Harden again, because you threw him in there in the MVP mix, because when he plays, I mean, he's unbelievable. He's a 30-point-per-night guy easily, if not more. We heard reports here this morning (laughs) from Shams that Harden is maybe getting a little frustrated with not having been dealt yet or with whatever's going on in Houston. He may have thrown a basketball at a rookie in practice. Okay, so tensions <laughs> boiling over. Now, Houston said they wanted to get uncomfortable, so maybe they're loving this because now things are getting uncomfortable with these reports. Do you think, Kirk, that Harden will be moved, you know, look, maybe with uh, in the next 24 hours or at least before the deadline or will Houston try and ride this out? He is under contract for a couple more seasons. How do you see the Harden sort of saga playing out here? And where do you think even he fits best? I think he fits best wherever he is. And that's a cop-out <laughs> answer. But I have so much respect for his game that I'm not worried about James Harden. Uh, I think he's one of the few guys that can sort of shut everything off around him and go out and dominate games. And I think there is something to be said that, you know, he's had a rocky offseason. There's been a lot of changes in Houston, obviously the coach. 
the general manager, some of the rosters turned around. But at the end of the day, when it's a jump ball and he's on one side, that team is going to have offensive efficiency and a chance to win the game. Right. Uh, and, and wherever he goes, uh, that team is a really good offense. And so I think if everything holds steady in Houston, which is a big if, I think people are overlooking the Rockets. They have John Wall, Christian Wood, uh, DeMarcus Cousins, P.J. Tucker, Eric Gordon. I think the tumult of the offseason is, isn't something to ignore. Uh, but I think once the ball is tipped, if those guys are out there together, that's a pretty good team. Um, and they got question marks with the coach and in, in the front office, but they don't have question marks on, on the roster, in my opinion, assuming they're out there together. Yeah, I definitely think they could be a playoff team if, for whatever reason, Harden sticks with the Rockets the entire season. John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, sure, you can talk me into it. Did you ever have... An uncomfortable moment, though, Kirk, uh, with the Spurs. Did Bryn Forbes ever whip a ball at Jakob Pertle or something like that? <laughs> no, I have never seen that happen in a practice gym uh, since uh, since about fourth grade. And I think I was, I was the one whipping the ball. Uh, yeah, but, I like the report where they're like, uh, actually, on game days, though, Harden is totally engaged, talking up teammates about how we can get better. He's saying, hey, we're playing today. Give me the ball. I'll go score every point. It's cool. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah, it'll be interesting, but you know, I don't know where that shakes out to, to just go full circle. But if James Harden is out there, he's another Iron Man, by the way. Talk about yeah. LeBron! Like yep. this guy, Lord knows he doesn't take care of his body as well as some players. <laughs> uh, no, but, no, no, that's his spinach. I've decided. Yeah. Like the strip clubs and staying out late—that makes him stronger. That's I think it's spinach. like an Iverson scenario, honestly. Yeah, that's his spinach. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, uh, we'll see. I, I I don't know. This could go very. I mean, it might be appearing to go this way, like Jimmy Butler when he was with Minnesota, right? I mean, it's like, okay, trade me. I want out of here. And then, oh, all we heard from Minnesota was like, ah, it's okay. Everybody's on the same page. Tibbs is saying that, and everybody's like trying to like kumbaya it up. And it's like, oh no, it's getting worse and worse by the day. <laughs> now it's just what, whether or not Harden will take the Jimmy Butler route. I mean, they're two different personalities. I don't know them personally, but you assume they're two different type of people. And maybe he does it. Maybe he's a professional about it. But this is a, you know, a step in the Jimmy direction, I guess, back in the Minnesota. If you're, if he's just chucking balls at rookies, not that this doesn't happen, I assume in other teams, like, yeah, the stars upset with young players. Yeah. I'm sure there's like tension. Uh, they're trying to be better, but if he's just checked out, oh boy, they, then they'll have to move on from him. I did have a question though, because you were in a front office. We always hear these things, Kirk, of like, well, they don't want to trade them to a Western Conference team. Get them out of the conference. Trade them somewhere else. Is that true? Do those like conversations legit happen? I always wondered that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, especially with players of this magnitude, Skeets, yeah. because the owners get involved. And the owners don't want, say, a player to go to a regional rival. Mm -hmm. um, that's a real thing. Um, <laughs> you know, somebody going from, you know, the, the Celtics to the Sixers. It's happened, uh, but it is a consideration. Okay. Um, somebody going from Houston to the Lakers, somebody from going from the Spurs to the Mavericks, these things are real. Uh, these owners feel these relationships. They feel this competitiveness. Um, and I think one of the characters who obviously is super important to watch in this saga is Tillman. Um, mm. This guy has a loud personality. I believe his book is called Shut Up and Listen, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> And so I don't. You think should have named a sprawl ball that much. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> shut up and read this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, shut up in charts, folks. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no, I think that is an interesting dynamic that is often o o o under discussed. 
Skeets is, is what does the owner want or not want to happen? Okay. And okay. I think as it relates to Tillman, um, there's the regional Western Conference stuff, the contender stuff that's relevant. There's also the Philadelphia thing um, right. where, where our friend Daryl Morey landed. Uh, and I'm not going to say that's going to be a, 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 a no-fly zone for a potential deal. I am definitely going to say that that's being factored into the equation, right. and right. it should. And people shouldn't like, oh, that doesn't matter. No, that matters. Relationships matter in the world. Breaking news. Um, <laughs> and these guys are competitive just like the players. Um, so it, it does factor in, uh, particularly at the ownership level, with player, players as good as James. Yeah, was, was that the same, though, in San Antonio? Because the, the stability we always uh, come to know with the Spurs, I, I believe, is largely because the owner sort of stays out and lets Buford and Popovich make all those decisions. So was, was that always the same in San Antonio? Was it basically just Buford and Popovich who had the final say on personnel moves? I think late era Spurs for sure. I think when when things got off the ground and and Coach Popovich was a relatively obscure uh, Pomona College or you know uh, relatively obscure person in the front office, uh, he would say that he learned a lot from the ownership group of the Spurs and they they helped form the culture that we now associate with with RC and Pop. Uh, but the values based leadership that the Holt family uh, has brought to San Antonio. Uh, has been a huge part of the culture. Uh, and again, I learned when I was in a front office that the owners are super important, uh, super important to culture. And you can see it in every organization in different ways, Lee. Uh, but yeah, anybody who thinks that you're, you're trading a player, a GM can trade anybody of the, of the caliber of James Harden without a phone call an agreement from the ownership, right? That's not happening. Yeah, um, and especially in this newer generation of sort of the Cuban esque uh, hands on owners. Yeah, you know, you're not trading Luka Doncic without Mark Cuban. You, yeah. you know, so the GM has to go through. So I think, as I said, yeah, ownership matters. What you're talking about, San Antonio, Dallas, Houston, Philadelphia, all these people are super important to the decisions and the cultures of these institutions. Right. And it comes down to that specific owner, like you're saying, Kirk. One owner could be like, you know, you call and say, hey, look, we want to trade so-and-so, our star player. And they may be like, all right, well, go get the best deal. You know, it's in your hands. Go get the best trade package back, draft picks, other players, whatever. Well, another owner might say, well, yeah, well, hold on. We're not just trading him to the guy that just left our organization. No, 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 we're not doing that. Or we're not trading him to a rival, like you said. Yeah, so uh, I'm sure... Every owner, as you're saying, is different of how they come about it. Some are like, probably, okay, do whatever you got to do. Whatever is the best thing for our franchise moving forward, do it. And uh, some are other going to take it personal or because they're so competitive or like, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> I, uh, I'm vetoing that one, let's say, or it's got to get more for that return. So, yeah, okay. I'm glad uh, we, we uh, I figured that was the case, but uh, you never know because you always just hear that, especially the, the conference <laughs> one. And I'm like, do we know this for sure? Okay, I guess it is a thing. So... Let's talk teams this season to you, Kirk, that are the most confusing uh, to figure out. I know our good friends, uh, I think it was Arnovitz and Zach Lowe had a podcast on this. It was a great one. Confusing teams. Who's at the top of your list? Tough to figure out. Uh, Phoenix Suns, because okay. I really want them to be good, but they haven't been in the playoffs <laughs> since I think I was like 15 years old, it seems like. when <laughs> They had those old uniforms and Barkley was running around. It has That's an exaggeration, obviously. Uh, but I think if everything goes right in Phoenix, they could be really good. Like last year's Oklahoma City team, like just like a team you don't want anything to do with, uh, sneaky playoff upset kind of team. Or they could be right back where we've been accustomed to seeing them in the lottery. 
Uh, so I think they have a really high um, ceiling floor um, sort of uh, box plot, for lack of a better term. And I, I, I think they're my most confusing. And then in the Eastern Conference, ah, geez, I, I just the Eastern Conference is so chock full of, of of candidates. But you know, I really have so much respect for Toronto. Uh, but I think they could be anywhere. You could tell me they're the two seed or the seven seed. Yeah. And I, I could see that happening, Skeets. And I'm yep. curious if if you, if that counts as confusing or if that's just <laughs> like uncertainty. I think that's more uncertainty. But I, I know where you're coming from with that. Like, Because I think we're all agreeing that the Raptors, if they're guys, as I listed off the top, they're main guys that they've locked up in Siakam, Van Vliet, Noji. And of course, Lowry's there. And they're well coached. Uh like there's gonna be a good team with those guys out there because those guys yeah. are just like they just feel like professional basketball players and they're competent. They all seem to get along. They put in the effort on both ends. So it's like that's just gonna translate into a lot of wins against crappy teams most nights. But like they did last year, you see them struggling at times with good teams and great teams in the league. It's not a lock that they can win those games. So I hear your gap there. Uh, you know, does Siakam go next level? Does he bounce back after the terrible bubble? Does OG, like I said, is he in the running for most improved? What's Lowry like again as he gets older? Uh, and then Van Vliet. Can Van Vliet, Van Vliet be uh, like a 22-point-per-game scorer? I mean, that seems far-fetched to me, but then the guy always proves me wrong. because <laughs> he's, uh, he's just a rock, and he's always betting on himself, and it works out for him. So, yeah, I, I understand the gap, though. They're starting to remind me of the, the Spurs a little bit in this, yep. in this sense. A bunch of boring players, and I'm, I'm not calling them boring. <laughs> That's like yeah. the sort of the perception out there. A boring market, again, not my words, just the, the sort of the vibe I get. People are, they're always going to win 50 games as Masai. I think they've won 50 games every year with yeah, Masai. They're close so. to it. Uh, similar to Tim Duncan, right? Just yep. like you just set your watch by it. Um, <laughs> maybe one or two all stars, but not like superstar all stars. Yep. Um, so I think they are starting to get a little bit of that Spurs ish uh, reputation, which is great. Sustainable yeah. greatness, but kind of boring. So folks are overlooking. You're never going to take them as, oh, I'm putting them in the two seed. But man, like you're saying, top five defense, top 10 offense. That looks like a top three team in the East to me. Um, and that's where I would expect them to fall. Yeah. Um, one injury though. If, if Pascal gets hurt, if Kyle gets hurt, misses time. And it might not be an injury this year. And that's the sad truth about this season. True. Uh, the, the guys are going to miss time. Teams are going to miss games. We don't know what's going to shake out. That said, the formula in Toronto is super sustainable. Not that spicy, ironically. <laughs> uh, so it doesn't it doesn't get a lot of attention out there in 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 the Twitterverse uh, outside of Toronto. But I would put them as sort of confusing. What yeah. else? Well, what I else? think I think like uh, one more comparison there to make between the Spurs and the Raptors, and we were sort of talking about it uh, when we were talking about ownership. Like Masai and Bobby Webster, they are very Spurs-like. Where there's just no leaks. There's no drama. There's no, it's just business. You know, they just go about it. I just feel like nothing gets out um, to an incredible uh, group of, uh, you know, Raptors reporters out there. It's not like they're not doing their job. I just don't <laughs> think anything is happening uh, that is making, you know, front page news uh, like some other teams. Uh, and, that, and that's, of course, goes down to the players on their roster, too. As I said, just seems like just a bunch of professional guys like show up, lunch pail in hand, let's get to work and win 50 games, like you said. So that, I see that comparison, too, like the culture that the Raptors have put in place 
is Spurs-like. And I know we've talked about it before, Lee. That's amazing when you think of the Raptors' culture like a decade ago, which was the right. exact opposite of, of now what they've put in place. And that just speaks to Messiah, I think, more than yeah. anything. Yeah, I mean, you just go back through history. You know, Stoudemire didn't want to stay. Camby didn't yeah. want to stay. McGrady, Vince Carter, Chris Bosh. I mean, these guys were star players, but they felt that they weren't going to win it all in Toronto and they couldn't yeah. be successful and then, really, it was Lowry and DeRozan. Uh, and and Masai Jiri got lucky, really, with Kyle Lowry, that trade falling through to the Knicks. I mean, that's a classic sliding doors moment there. What would have happened if that trade had gone through? You know, the Raptors, I don't think, probably go on to win the championship. But ultimately, they have built that model franchise stability, which, uh, as you allude to there, Kirk, it's, it's kind of boring. But that boring is pretty successful uh, over time. I mean, that's what the Spurs have done last season, the first time in 22 years since they didn't even make the playoffs. And they still nearly did in the end there. So uh, that that is, considering what happened to the Vancouver Grizzlies after only six years, you know, the Raptors looked like they were heading in that same direction there for a while, but instead now they've turned it around to become uh, what every, you know, what certainly what most franchises aim to be like. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Who do you have, Kirk, pegged for a potential breakout season? You're looking at your maps. You're looking at your numbers. You're crunching everything. In terms of players, who do you see maybe going next level? And that could be from obviously a bad player to maybe a competent good player or a good player to sort of a great player? What are you, what are you focusing on? Uh, the first one that comes to mind, Skeets, is Devin Booker, uh, okay. who, who I think is already a great player, so it might not be a great answer. Uh, but Devin Booker, I think, in, in a better offense where he can you know, have Chris Paul helping out, drawing defensive attention, taking a few hard, less hard shots each half, taking a few more easy shots, I think he has Durant-ish level potential as a scorer. Uh, can dominate everywhere on the basketball court if he's in an offense that allows him to have a little bit more space, a little Mm -hmm. bit less defensive attention. Um, So he's at the top of the list. Um, And then I guess I love Jason Tatum, and it's sort of the same story over there. Um, I think he is a brilliant two-way player who's going to be a 30-point scorer at some point. Um, This might be the year. Uh, so those are sort of cop-outs, I think, because they're already really good. Well, they're uh, all-star players, but it sounds like you're thinking, well, they might be starting to get in MVP consideration if their team puts up enough wins. Not yeah, that Tatum, Tatum's sort of there, too. That's right. I think they're going from all-stars to all-star starter level yeah. Uh, yeah. player. Uh, so those are my two options. But that's a great question. Uh, why don't you guys answer it? <laughs> <laughs> Who do you have, Trey? Do you have anyone on top of mind? Uh, a different Celtic, actually, just because I'm a little I'm a little bit with you already, Kirk. I think Jason Tatum is awesome, and I think he'll be approaching 30 points per game. Maybe he's the new Carmelo Anthony, you know? He just gets buckets. Not a 
incredible creator for his teammates, Playmaker, but he certainly got better at that in the bubble. And I think that's another big question that I would have with the Suns. How good are they? Are they actually 8-0 in the bubble good? I don't know, but the other Celtic that I'm expecting a breakout year from is Jalen Brown. I just think he's going to have a lot more responsibility. He's another guy who uh, is incredible in transition and can sometimes struggle to get a good look in a half-court setting. Uh, he's got to get a little bit better at putting the ball on the ground, but with Kemba Walker uh, being hurt to start the season, it's going to be January before he returns. Who knows exactly what it's going to be like when he's there. I'm sure Jalen Brown will be in position to put up some big numbers to have a little bit more responsibility offensively, and Brad Stevens usually does a pretty good job of getting his guys in the right places. So I'm looking forward to see what Jalen brings. Jalen Brown's a good one. We had the debate last year at the All-Star time, like, is it Jalen Brown or is it Jason Tatum as, uh, I guess, would have been at the time the second Celtic to make it because Kemba was uh, starting the All-Star game. Uh, Lee, do you have anyone? Breakout player? Well, I want to see playoff Jamal Murray become regular season Jamal Murray right. as well, which is kind of, you know, I mean, playoffs is obviously with the biggest stage of brighter lights, and he's been incredible uh, last year. And even actually the season before against the Spurs in that first round you know, in the end, turned into a bit of an upset, really, I think, because even though the Nuggets had home court advantage, they lost that first game. And it wasn't until that Jamal Murray uh, rescued game, really, that uh, got the Nuggets back on track. I think it was game two, I guess it was. Uh, But down in the bubble, he just showed he really is ready to step up. And I was a little disappointed that he didn't uh, really make a a stronger push for the All-Star game last season. So I I expect if Jamal Murray doesn't make the All-Star, you know, selection, whatever they're going to call it this year... Uh, that'll be a little bit disappointing because I think he's yeah. a really, really, he's a superstar in waiting right now. And uh, he, he was just so fun to watch down there. He can get you those 50 points. He's, he's electric to watch. And, uh, you know, the Nuggets with him and Jokic, I think, you know, they're, they're, they're on that second tier, but only just. I think they really can keep pushing if those two stay together and continue to uh, show the potential they've had so far. Kirk, what do you make of the bubble? Like, how much Im- or how much importance do you give to everything that happened down there? The Suns went 8-0. Uh, you know, Bam Adebayo looked like an even better playmaker. Jimmy Butler became a superstar. How much of this is going to carry over from the end of last season into this season? Yeah, I don't see flukes there. I, I know some people do. Uh, that word has been used before. I was on Zach's podcast talking about this with, with, with Miami a, a week or so ago. And, you know... Some people see flukes. I don't see flukes. Uh, the the Miami Heat are a legit team. Uh, Bam Adebayo is a legit player. The the Phoenix Suns won with really good play, and Monty Williams' fingerprints are all over that, and he's a great coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think with Chris Paul there, I don't think they're going to go undefeated. Um, and, and the <laughs> <laughs> but I think... I think the Suns have a chance to be the six or the five seed. And I don't think I would have said that, Trey, if I didn't see that 8-0 in the bubble. Sure. Yeah. And I, I, didn't, I don't know if Chris Paul would be there if he didn't see that 8-0 in the bubble. Uh, so I think that's really interesting. I, don't ha- I, I think some of the playoff series were kind of fluky, especially the ones that went to seven games. Teams like Milwaukee can look at their experience there. Teams like Boston be like, man, we didn't have those games in our home gyms with the fans. I think to... If there's a fluke in the bubble results, it has to do with the the, the fans making noise, uh, influencing games, refs, uh, players. Yeah. Um, without that, I think there are some there's some there's some there's some differences. I mean, the home records in the bubble were <laughs> just, 
it was hilarious to watch, you know. Yeah. But uh, so I think that that's it. I, I think I trust what I saw basketball wise, with the exception of maybe some minor home court effects. Sure. And back to your Devin Booker point, like going next level. I mean, I'm a huge Booker fan. I think it's as simple as him becoming sort of like you said a starter in an All Star game uh, in the near future. It's as simple as just winning games. And yeah. people have taking notice of the Suns because they're not, you know, a 30-win team year after year after year. Once that team, and maybe Chris Paul and, and improving DeAndre Ayton and the defensive wings they have around Booker, if that team, like you're saying, is a fifth, fifth or sixth seed, I think, you know, Booker is suddenly like that, like sort of what happened with Jamal Murray in the playoffs, a star, like immediately. Because he's that incredible already at young age. He's only going to get better, you would think. They just start winning games. Well, then there's eyeballs on them. There's people talking about him. And then he's being included in all these conversations for, you know, either on the longer list of MVP or starting all-star games and all NBA selections and stuff like that. It, like, it's a weird comparison. I'm not comparing their games, but I'm showing my age a little bit here too. It's like Mitch Richmond is what I always think of when I think of Booker because like I'm playing fantasy basketball when I'm younger, but I'm sure as hell like not watching a bunch of Kings <laughs> games when they were bad, right? But, you know, Mitch Richmond is out there in the West scoring his 25 every night and obviously as a talented player becomes a hall of fame player which is a little surprising even to me but it's like we just didn't care until they started winning games and there was some success and you're like oh yeah mitch richmond you know he starts going higher no nobody says that about mitch richmond well maybe not nobody says that about right and again i wasn't comparing their games because devin booker is a much flashier sort of player and and a, a today's type of player i think that kids would fall in love with but uh my point is He's just out there scoring 25 every night on a team that doesn't win games. It's tough to get all that excited for. The casual fan, I think. Uh, but you start adding some wins and you start going up the uh, Western Conference standings, I think just people take note. And that's just sort of how it happens. you got to win some games for the casual fan, especially to give a damn is what I'm getting at. Yeah, and the other one there in that same category is Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, yes. Yeah. Obviously one of the most talented big men in the entire game, uh, but just doesn't have... The, the wins to get him the, the, the attention. Uh, and he's another one to watch in this breakout sort of category. I, I don't think I'm predicting it. I'm not that high on the Wolves. Uh, but with a guy like that at the center, um, you can't rule them out. And they right. could start winning. Uh, it would be an interesting story. But to the same point, I think, yeah, one of those two guys, Booker or Cat, can, if they start becoming a playoff player, all of a sudden it's, it's just like, oh, my, this guy's all pro, all <laughs> yeah. NBA. Yeah, well, talking about exciting players, let's get your thoughts on LaMelo Ball and uh, what we've seen already in the preseason. Uh, I mean, the Twitter highlights are out there in terms of passing the ball. He's thrown like three or four unbelievable dimes. He has struggled, uh, as we may expect it, to shoot the ball at times. You know, a couple one-for-tens type of nights and and offers from distance. But yeah, what is your thoughts on what you've seen from him and moving forward and what type of player he could be? Love it. I think, you know, analytically, one thing you can't teach is passing. I think some guys come into the league with that and some guys don't. <laughs> and, you know, I think he obviously has it and he's an unselfish player uh, and he's, he has the court vision of an elite point guard um, and it's fun. And the question is, is he sort of become a really great playoff point guard or does he become uh, sort of like a, a white chocolate sort of right. guy. It's just like, <laughs> yes. you must watch Twitter highlights. You know, Rob, yeah. Perez, Rob Perez is tweeting about him, and uh, <laughs> th- that's about it. You know, it's not like you see the Charlotte Hornets at the top of the Eastern Conference standing. Right. So that's really interesting. I think if his brother's career is anything to, to learn from, he's going to be a good defender too, eventually. Uh, good defensive instincts go with being a, a good passer. 
Hmm. I think he has the potential to be an all-star, and I don't think that's going out on a limb. Uh, but if I'm in if I'm in the Charlotte Hornets front office or James Borrego's coaching staff, I'm thrilled with this guy. Uh, potential to be a game-changing point guard for the franchise. Um, I'm less impressed with the super highlights. I'm more impressed with just finding the guy, making the right play on a fast break, and getting an easy layup that might not end up on on Sports Center or NBA Twitter. Right. <laughs> As a guy who tracks shot locations, is it important for the guy who has the ball all the time to be able to make shots? Or is no. that something that a team can get around? You know, if, if if it's a good enough passer, like Ben Simmons is a good enough passer that he doesn't really need to shoot the ball and the Sixers can still score. Yeah, I think that's right, Trey. I think Giannis is another good example. And uh, Ben Simmons, uh, Russell Westbrook, when he's going real well, like the first three months of 2020, when you're an attack guard and you can finish at the rim, you don't need to hit jump shots. There's still a very narrow path to dominate the league from the point guard position without being a deadly shooter like Steph Curry, um, without being a step-back master like James Harden. But that requires you to be really good at going up and down, uh, really good at attacking the basketball hoop and, and causing problems for the defense in the paint, like Westbrook does at his best, like Simmons does at his best, and certainly as Giannis does. Um, so if LaMelo can get to the rack and finish and then decorate the edges with these assists, mm-hmm. yeah. I, he doesn't need to be shooting 40% from three to be an all-star. Uh, that said, that should be his number one priority in the next yeah. three years of his right, career. Right. Because that's where we are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Don't wait for a decade like Jason Kidd to <laughs> get started early on. Because they, these are the comparisons you're already seeing. And they do check out, I'll be honest. Like white chocolate, of for sure, Jason Williams and the type of passes that he's throwing here in preseason. The Jason Kidd comparison makes sense. Wow. Can rebound, big guard, incredible court vision, but we called him Ace and Kid, right, for a long time there when he was back in the Mavericks and talking about Tony Braxton back in the day. He couldn't shoot, and he added that to his game and became a champion and a Hall of Famer. Uh, and and then there is the Lonzo comparison because oh, that makes sense. His brother is in the NBA a couple years ahead of him. So the- yeah, but that's the difference to me. What you hit on Kirk is that a guy like Jason Kidd, a guy like Ben Simmons, obviously Giannis, they're getting layups all the time. Lonzo is not a guy who gets layups. Yeah, right. He's a pretty poor free throw shooter. Seems like he doesn't want to go to the free throw line he takes maybe two a game that's barely anything uh so that that the shooting no doubt outside for Mello is going to be huge but getting layups at the rim that's still the best shot is that true is it still good to <laughs> shoot layups and dunks yeah no 100 percent um layups and dunks uh with respect to the title of the show layups yes, are you. very good very good uh, <laughs> thank you nice uh they are the best shots and you know what else even the best shooters in the league like steph curry went from a nice story to a two-time mvp because in part he could threaten the rim uh not not like westbrook and not not like Simmons, but if you look at his numbers in the paint, um, you know, year one, year two, year three, they were bad. Uh, when it really clicked for Steph, he could get in there with those flying floaters, finishing really creatively, but at an efficient level. Right. And it's a story we've seen with, with the most successful playoff point guards. Tony Parker is another great example. There's no business putting up 65% in the paint <laughs> and, and leading the NBA from the guard position and points in the paint, but he did it. Um, and I think that is really a secret to players like Trey Young uh, or LaMelo Ball uh, becoming elite is watch those finishing numbers. Because, yes, Trey, the, the best shots in the game are still layups and dunks. 
Love yeah. to hear it. I got to deal with all this anti-big man bias from Skeets <laughs> over here. Trying to tell me Zion Williamson's got boring highlights because all he, he does, does is dunk. Get out of here. We love dunks. Oh, no man. Dunks. All right. Well, before we uh, move to the... Uh, to the map portion of this podcast, which was the impetus for having you on because we got, we got a lot of questions about this awesome map that you put together. We'll just put you on the spot here. Who is your pick to win, to win the title? Do you have the Lakers repeating? Do you believe in the Clippers and their chemistry? Is it somebody from the East? You know, who you got in the finals, let's say, and who even wins finals MVP? Uh, My pick is the Milwaukee Bucks and it's, it is, it is time. And it's partly my pick because I think they have the easiest path to the final round. They're not in the Western conference. And so as an analyst, I have to look at that Um, with all due respect to Brooklyn and Boston. The East is not as easy as it was. Don't get me wrong, but it's still not the West Mm -hmm. where you look at a team with James Horton and John Wall and Christian Wood and you're like, yeah, they're not that good. Uh, in the East, you know, you don't have that kind of depth. Um, and I think Milwaukee deserves another chance. So I think Giannis, if I don't have this number correct, he, you know, Jordan was never in the finals at this age. Um, he's a young player. He's still winning, learning to win those championships, learning to win those playoff series, I should say, uh, in the same way that we gave Michael Jordan five, six, seven years. You know, we talk about a 63-point game in the Garden. They lost that series. They lost a couple series in Detroit, let's not forget, uh, before he finally got over the hump. But nobody was saying this guy is, 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 is done and he can't do it at age 26. Uh, so my pick is still the team that I've seen put up the best statistical markers. And the hope is that they play a little bit better in the playoffs this year. And if it falls apart, guys, it's going to fall apart in the playoffs again for Milwaukee. I think they're built for, for greatness in the regular season. So my pick is Bucks Lakers, okay. um, and I think I would take if that happened, I would take the Lakers. But because the Lakers have a harder <laughs> path to get there, my overall pick for the title is the Milwaukee Bucks, folks. All right, and of course, I would assume that would be a Giannis Finals MVP. The problem with your sort of MJ Bulls on the come up comparison is that means Budenholzer is Doug Collins, Ooh. and uh, we got to find the Phil Jackson for Giannis. Hey, I'm being serious here too, as I don't think the Bucks will ultimately do it. And it's, if the Bucks fall up short in the playoffs again, I think we all would agree that Budenholzer would likely be gone. Outside of Giannis just saying, no, no, that's my guy. Don't get rid of him. But even Giannis, I think, at that point, would he not go, maybe we got to try somebody else in here, a new voice in here. So I, I think they're looking for the Phil Jackson. Hey, maybe it's Phil Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> Worked for the Knicks. Yeah. Okay, so Kirk saying, though, uh, going with the Bucks. I, I like that pick. That's a bold pick. Okay, so let's talk about this map, TK. I know you're going to lead us through this uh, because this is really, really cool, Kirk. Uh, we flashed it up earlier for everybody joining us on the stream team. Naismith International Park. I, I, first question I'll get started, Trey, is like, just how did this come to be? Uh, where, did you have a weird dream and this popped in your head there, Kirk? What happened? So I'll tell you exactly what happened. And, and thank you guys for giving it some attention. Uh, it's a real, it turned into a passion project, but it started with a stupid Instagram post that never really happened. I was just going to look at like where the most common places guys were scoring the basketball were last season, which I do every year, mm-hmm. it's always near the hoop and around the three-point line. And I started, instead of mapping that with hexagons, which I like to do, this time I was doing a terrain metaphor. And the higher elevations were the areas where most of the points were scored in the NBA in 2019-20, which is still the elevation of this map. Uh, and then I started to label some of the places on there yeah. um, with Luka Doncic's shot from last year, with Anthony Davis's buzzer beater in the bubble. And then... 
you know, before I was like, oh, what, what is this thing? I threw on a couple of other like, oh, this is where Jordan shot against Byron Russell was on the map. Right. And then this is where Ray Allen shot in 2013 was. And then before I knew it, I was like, oh, no, this is now. a thing. <laughs> so it like spiraled out of control. Once I started adding these historical places to the map that mean so much, I was like, I better not screw this up. Uh, and so it went from something that was like a week long time span to something that was like a three month long off-season wow. project. You so, literally made a mountain out of a molehill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Trey. Yeah, so uh, now it has everything from Tai Lu Falls right next to Iverson Crossing. Uh, oh, that's so good. It's still my favorite. It has, you know, Chamberlain Mountain, which has an elevation of 10,000 feet, which is referenced some of your audience will not get. Uh, so it was I fun. thought it was actually 20,000, to be honest. But, uh, <laughs> oh, was it 20,000? I, I, I thought so, but I, I, you know, I, th- I think Wilt was uh, like to embellish his stories a little bit. But. You, you, you would know the details of that yeah, one. Yeah, I, I, think for me, he, I, I think I, he's I, close to 20,000 back in his younger days. <laughs> you can, I mean, you can look at this for literally hours, yeah. Kirk. Like, there are so many parts. Like you're saying, the way the Iverson and the Tai Lu all actually plays together uh, in the bottom left corner, I think is so awesome. If you were going to pull a Joey Tribbiani and get into oh, this map and live in this map, where are you going to live? Where would you live uh, in Naismith International Park? Well, I'm just, I'm just forgive me for going out of frame. I'm pulling it up here. I think Stockton Lake really looks nice up there. It's got, <laughs> it's got mountain views and ample fishing up near the top of the arc. Uh, and there's a really nice birding area named after Sue Bird there mm-hmm. uh, that I really, I, I, I like the lower elevations, the temperate climate. Um, there's nice hiking trails around there too. Beautiful. But the, the Stockton Lake and... It, it feeds uh, Malone Creek, of course. So we, <laughs> Certainly. I really like that area a lot. Uh, what is the most obscure location on here? What's something that you're like, eh, you know, maybe it's not the most famous yeah. in, in NBA history, but I love it. I'm getting it on here. Oh, uh, that's you know, a like- very good question. Uh, there's a bunch of buzzer beaters that I forgot happened, like uh, Derek Rose beating the Cavs in 2015 that people aren't going to get. And uh, But I... <laughs> Oh, the the ele- stone face. Yeah. The, yeah the celebration. The, some people forget these, but I wanted to I wanted to uh to 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 memorialize them. Like so like the Kings, not to bring it up with Trey, but you know, LeBron hitting a corner three against the Bulls in twenty fifteen too. Yeah. So the, there's some of there. Uh in terms of really uh Cappy Pondexter, who I love, uh makes it. Most people might not realize that uh, that I put her on there. Uh, but of course, Waiters Island is the yeah. answer. Yeah. 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 Whereas some some students of the game will get it, and some will not. But that's that's uh, notably in Simmons Lake. Um, but if <laughs> I had to have it, if anybody wants to look at this, yeah, if anybody wants to look at this, they can find it on my Twitter handle. It's yeah. pinned up there, and we're selling them. But uh, yeah, I love it. I love it. I love that people loved it. I did not know it would it would receive the the recognition that it got on Twitter. Thanks to you guys a lot for the support. Um, but so if anybody good. Yeah, so cool. clever. Yeah. yeah. What were you about to ask there, Lily? No, just the uh, the Zach Lowe Observatory there on Wiggins Island, I think, <laughs> is just the, the perfect little compliment. And again, I mean, maybe casual fans don't realize the meaning of that. But for uh, for those of us who are sort of do this thing and this is our career, like it's just so perfect to have it there. Uh, did, did um, you know, when you did all these things, you know, they're coming together and you said, you know, you've forgotten a couple of things. Is there something that you sort of wish you you know, you could add in there now or that, uh, you know, you left or you, you oh know, didn't get God. to. Oh, my God. Yeah, mean, I'm 100%. Sure things, yeah. So pop up your shirt here. This is the best example. 
I didn't get any boom shakalaka point. Oh, <laughs> and wow. coincidentally, those two players didn't make it. So wow, I just screwed up. I didn't know it was going to be a thing. Like yeah. I thought it was going to be a minor thing. Uh, but when people started going crazy, I was like, oh, this is sort of this definitive document. So I better make it right. <laughs> so the good news is I have the chance to update it next year. Uh, and I will. And our good friends from NBA Jam will be represented. No Dunks will be represented. Oh, nice. Uh, and Gary Payton, you know, the glove. Like, there's some guys I dismissed. Uh, I think I, I hit, like, 85%. Uh, but there's room for improvement. Uh, but it's not set in stone. I think one thing I look forward to doing, Lee, is updating it. You know, if I made this two years ago, Doncic, you know, bang, bang, point wouldn't right. be there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. it's there now. Uh, so what's going to happen this year? What's going to get added to the map? And that's one of the cool things about the NBA. You guys know this as, be- as well as anybody. Like, It'll gift us a bunch of new things oh, yeah. to, to put on there this year. As crazy as this season's going to be, uh, this map will... Um, I think it's a work in progress. I think I'll perpetually sort of add things every year and have additions. So next year I'll have the 2021 edition. <laughs> you know, I, one thing you didn't say at the top, Skeets, is I my first job was a cartography professor like this is my passion you know right. i'm a map maker by trade um i love this, this. <laughs> i find so it this fascinating is really like the, do you the, do you the I, I have a weird geek question because like i do love maps too i don't draw them but like do you have like um a top there... five cartographers of all time no oh, you got amerigo vespucci at number yeah, one waldo tobler sarah fabricant cindy brewer of course mercator <laughs> has to be on the list oh, and arthur course. robinson is on there too oh yeah for sure for mr sure. robinson's neighborhood <laughs> he, he hey, that's map. on the map that's on, on the map, map baby. i was gonna say is there like a platform you use like uh to build these like how do you draw this i guess is what i'm getting at or create this is there actually a cartography like I don't know app or something. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a package called Ge- Geographic Information Systems GIS, which is really popular if you went to study geography. Oh, there you go. Wow. Qu- Queens University or McGill or something. <laughs> Shout out to Canada. Uh, Respect. Yeah. Hey, they have good geography programs <laughs> up do. there. And uh, so yeah, you learn this software and then you bring it into graphic design software and and beauty beautify it up. But yeah, gotcha. the, the line work is there's there's entire software packages skeets designed now as everybody unclicks the uh, stops listening to the podcast <laughs> there's a lot there's a lot to learn about map making so okay. people are hopping in with their suggestions for things that already need to be added uh lee's gonna love this one from sam Unona who says i can't wait to see where the brad low house will be <laughs> oh that's a great one we were talking we were literally talking about low house uh before the podcast in, in the nba jam context that's a great i i actually to that point on my instagram feed uh, at Kirk Goldsbury I actually crowdsourced because I knew I was forgetting stuff sure and so many people gave me great ideas that made it on there but Brad's low house or whatever that we would go with that's a great one man yeah, well, a, I, I wanted to have one. a ton of suggestions for you I, you know I'm thinking oh there's got to be some he forgot I didn't find hardly any literally the only thing I could find anytime I look at one of your uh, shot projections shot maps the first thing I check is on the baselines, 12 to 15 feet away. Is he going to honor Bill Wennington? Is this the time he finally says, Bill Wennington, the king of the 12-foot baseline jumper? That's my only critique. That's the only thing I'm adding for version hey, two. That I, 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 I will let the record show, folks. I will put Bill Wennington on the 2021 edition. Wow. I love Bill Wennington. 
Uh, but Udonis Haslam's pretty good at that exact mm. shot okay. last night. Okay. And, and okay. I think Wennington will get one side and we'll have to give UD the other side because that guy, man, that short corner, that 17, 15-foot baseline, the old man big shot. Nobody takes that shot anymore. Actually, to your point, if you map the, the – everybody talks about the rise of the corner three, the rise of the step back. The shot that has decreased in a zero-sum game the most – is that exact shot, Trey? That little the, baseline the short jump. baseline jumper is an endangered species. Nobody mm. goes there. Nobody goes there. Oh yeah, uh, you'll have the heat map come out. It's like people are missing everywhere. There's a there's at least color on almost every single part of the map, and then right there on the baseline, it's like two black holes. Do not go here, which is weird. I feel like that's the first shot I ever learned to take that wasn't a layup. They're like, like my dad's like, hey. You're tall. Go stand on the baseline and shoot 12-footers. That's all they're ever going to let you do. <laughs> yeah, Chris Middleton, shout out to extending that shot. Of course, Kevin Durant can shoot and will yeah. shoot from everywhere. And Carmelo still getting it done uh, in that <laughs> spot. And they're all honored on the map in, the, in those places. But, yeah, that place used to be like a lot of fadeaways off the block, especially MJ, you know. Mm-hmm. Yep. The windshield wiper move would end up being a 12-foot baseline jumper and one of the most gorgeous shots in in the league it's sad to say but we're losing that a little bit so chris middleton i give i give props to he still gets it done in that little zone uh he's probably like him and durant probably the only like youngish guys still doing it and in 10 years trey that shot's gone I don't know. I don't know. We're going to, I think we're changing people's minds here, Kirk. We're going to get him back taking those 12 footers. It's worth (laughs) way less. It's a tough shot, but you're going to show up on the map. You can put your name literally on the map by making this. Yeah. And so it's a weird thing. I've said this before on the podcast. My old high school basketball coach, uh, rest in peace, Coach Nye, he used to call that the Russian spot. And I have no idea why. I have no clue. But he called that the Russian spot. Uh, so maybe the Russians were like ahead of the curve on that one and taking that little baseline uh, shot for the big guy. Down. Nope, no idea. Someone will have to fact check me on that. Or maybe he just thought that up. <laughs> <laughs> well, on the podcast. He, similarly, like, the, the coaches in the world have these great sort of geographies of the court. And, uh, you know, one of the things, there's a line on the court, and I didn't quite get it on there, that Coach Pop always calls the Malone line. Because if Carl caught it on this side of the line, you're you're messed up, you're right. screwed. And if he was on that side, he's not that dangerous over there. But I, wow. I want to get that on there. But the point is, your coach, Coach Nye, RIP, I love how they look at the court. And the yeah. next version of this thing, I really want to talk to some coaches and, and make sure that I've labeled the points and the areas uh, that are really relevant um, tactically. The Russian spot, I've never heard that. It's just another yeah. great example. It's so weird. Uh, I, I, I said, sorry, Lee, one request I tweeted at you, Kirk, we have to have on the 2021 version, uh-huh. the next version. Near the rim, of course, somewhat, right you know, stuck in there. <laughs> oh. We got to have a wedgie watcher. I can't believe a wedgie watcher. I wrote it down around. already. Yeah. No. I couldn't I, believe it. No, the wedgie point, yes. That the wedgie will point, be, sure, yeah. Yes. No, for sure. Uh, okay. And then there's got to be some below the rim references, too. But sure. Mm. Yeah, the wedgie thing was honestly, no bullshit, one of the biggest oversights. Uh, <laughs> I really think so. In terms uh, of yeah, in terms of things I, I, that somebody brought up is like, where's that? I'm like, oh, crap. Uh, <laughs> so I promise you, Wennington, wedgie, and some below the rim reference. Okay, good, Excellent. good. What are you worried about to say, Leo? Well, Kirk, I've got, to, I've got to ask you about my favorite spot here on the map. I think uh, producer JD's got a photo of it here. It's, uh, as you can see there, Ellis Peak. 
Now, uh, oh Jesus! It's not now, you, Lee. It's Dale. Yeah, no. I know Dale, hey. Dale Ellis. Dale Ellis was a, was an all star. Of course, he won the three point shootout. Monte Ellis wasn't an all star, but he was a good player. Then you got Lafonso, Laron Ellis, as a couple others. So, I'm I'm hoping you're going to flatter me. Yeah, uh, and say that's a reference to the, my greatest moment of my basketball career because it's around that same spot. Uh, no, of course it was. I remember when you hit that shot, Lee, and it was it was. <laughs> I had to put it on, there. and a lot of people said, "Oh, great way to honor the great Dale Ellis, one well, of the well, early well, great." Ooh. No, no, and Dale Ellis, you know, cool flat top, but no, but great, Lee but, Ellis. But where you've got that peak is close to the greatest peak of my basketball career. Our, our producer JD, here it is. Here, this is <laughs> oh, God. look at that spot there. Right? Oh! <laughs> it's not even close to where it is on the map. You just wanted to get a clip in this podcast well, and you're shooting over yeah, Zeke. Well, you know, look, I just I just saw Alice Peak there and I thought, yeah, after Dale, if it's me or Monte, I'm hoping. Oh, that's what I'm hoping you're going to say anyway, Kirk. But, hey, uh, art is best left open to interpretation or something. <laughs> nice, nice. I'll take it. That's, that's good enough for me. Trey, uh, any more map uh, questions before we wrap this up and let Kirk go here? We got to get ready for tonight's game. Yeah, the only, the last question I would have about the map, Kirk, I was doing a lot of uh, searching here. There's talk of a mythical Wiggins Island. Um, <laughs> it only appears for a couple of weeks a year. Wiggins it, Island. Is is it possible to be charted on the map? Does it really <laughs> exist? Well, there's geographic features that are classified as intermittent features. Uh, that uh, You know, there's, uh, there's some, some washes are temporarily flooded in uh, some landform. So we have tricks for intermittent features. So I think, yeah, like we brought this up earlier in the contents of Lori Markinen. Uh, Markinen Point might be an intermittent uh, <laughs> intermittent feature. You know, Jeff, Green, right. Jeff Green Point would definitely be an yep. intermittent. Sometimes there, sometimes not. But I think Wiggins Point, I'll add it to the list, my dude. Oh, I love that. Wait, so the next map is going to be like holographic. Like you tilt it one way and it appears, yeah. and then you tilt the other way and it doesn't. Yeah, that's not a bad Why idea. Why are Bobby Portis's eyes following me? Hey, yeah. but all seriousness, your audience, hit me up on Kirk Goldsberry, either Twitter or Instagram, and give me ideas. If I miss something, I'm not going to miss it next year. Uh, a awesome. lot of my best ideas came from this this group of people that we get to interact with. Um, so thank you for the the ideas. And yeah, this is a product of that process. And I really think, I think next year's version is going to be uh, even bigger and badder. So uh, we'll, we'll see. But yeah, thanks for all the ideas. Don't wait, though, to buy next year's version. Go now. Uh, the easiest way, I assume, is just to go to Kirk's uh, Twitter account or Instagram account, at Kirk Goldsberry. We'll drop some links as uh, and well. And we will drop some links. And this is really, really cool. This would be a great gift, no doubt, for uh, obviously an NBA fan in your life. So go check that out. Kirk, thanks so much for joining us, man. This is, uh, I don't know how we waited this long to finally Once every seven years. Yeah. Once every like, seven years. <laughs> yeah, it's very intermittent, uh, you coming on the podcast. Guys, go get your new No Dunks merchandise at nodunks.com. Send in your questions and comments to nodunksattheathletic.com. Enjoy the games tonight. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow to break them all down. Tassie will be back. And we actually, I'll tease this now, a very special premiere of a No Dunks Christmas classic off of the top of tomorrow's show. You're not going to want to be late to the start of tomorrow's podcast, especially the stream team. So join us at 10 a.m. Eastern on Wednesday morning for that. Uh, again, Kirk, thank you so much. Clipper bros. You heard it here first. Have a great time. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. Embrace the new NBA season, people. We'll see you tomorrow.